0: are back welcome everyone to match point number nine of tennis Beds podcast you can find our show handle at mp9 tennis on twitter and all the socials these days if this is your first time listening chance starts how you found us welcome in if you're a returning listener a returning champion welcome back i am one of now two hosts here david ej Berger. that's right derek will be leaving us we will have him back for a send-off show but for now it's just me and the man i'm about to toss to, from California to Canada, Mr. John Reed. You can find him at Jarrett Tennis on Twitter. He does betting content for his own brand, at Tibbetts Tennis. He writes for the Action Network betting expert, Hammer HQ. He does tennis form recaps, and he's busy this week in Newport, if I am
1: correct. John, welcome in. Thank you. Yeah, I've got uh, doing the Newport tournament for tennis form, so it's been... Uh a busy couple of days when when the outer courts aren't on tennis tv shout out to tennis tv for that one really appreciate that where i can't get anything on demand and i can't pause and rewind matches super helpful
0: all right john we always kick off our show with our accountability segment called what do we win what do we learn well we learned that carlitos alcaraz can man up on grass and come back in historic fashion against novak Djokovic to win his second grand slam the Wimbledon championships. So we lost the two and a half and the three with Novak. However, as I tweeted, we might've lost our bets, but the sport had a pretty massive win on Sunday. A lot of eyeballs on that match. And quite frankly, it was pretty close. If he doesn't biff that overhead at uh, one 30-40 in the fifth set, break point, chances are the two and a half. Caches the three, at least pushes. What do you yeah, think
1: I've never seen. I've never seen Novak, looked that kind of shaky in big moments it's it's so rare to see it's kind of almost jilting he was the second set tiebreak. he really should have had as well two backhand errors not on the run not on great carlos shots just dead centered down the middle of the court put some halfway up the net with his backhand that's like unheard of and then you have that overhead that wasn't an overhead because he took it with a forehand out of the air this is the like the pinnacle of why you let it bounce the let it bounce movement should gain in huge numbers after that these stupid dry volleys or swinging vo- fricking volleys what a stupid thing to do he didn't even get any like the whole thing is well you take time away from your opponent or you can get some extra power on it so you you lessen your margin for error but you increase the chance winning the point he it was a pushed ball right back to alcaraz like what on earth was the point of that let that bounce and then hit a big forehand Set up a forehand that you can hit with an angle, which he's been doing all well so all tournament long, pardon me. And then finally, the break point that Alcaraz converted the very next game, Djokovic decides, I'm going to stick at the baseline, I'm going to stick at the baseline. He's moving Carlos around. Everyone's going to give Carlos his plaudits for his defensive play, which he absolutely deserves credit for because it's why he won the point. His defensive play gave him the time and gave Djokovic the opportunity to stumble, and he did. Djokovic decides, I'm going to come into net now. When you're coming into net... you should be doing it when you're hitting through the open space, right? Because that means that even Alcaraz with his speed is going to be returning it in a very defensive way and leaving the ball shorter. And that's an easier volley to put away. But Djokovic doesn't come to net until after he hits the ball right back to Alcaraz. Then he decides to come in. Well, now you're giving him the perfect opportunity to hit a passing shot. So he had four chances to come in prior to that and didn't. And then at the worst possible time to come in, he decided to approach. It was like Denis Shapovalov level tennis IQ for about 25 seconds there and it was from Novak Djokovic of all people you just never see it it was stunning that said Carlos beat him in all the big moments down the stretch outside of the fourth set the the three of the final four sets he was a better player he stuck right with Djokovic the game plan was there the nerves calmed after that first set he was he was a deserved winner there's no doubting that he had the more uh, explosive game he was all over Djokovic's service games for almost an entire two sets in the second and third and you know he was better at big moments which I think is the first time I've said that about Novak Djokovic in a long, long time at a Grand Slam, uh, that his opponent was better than him in the crucial match-deciding point. So, you know, Carlos, credit to him, man, not just for this tournament, not just for his grass season taking a huge leap forward, for the improvement since last August. Honestly, this was infinitely more impressive than his U.S. Open title. One, because he had to beat Novak Djokovic to do it, okay? That alone makes it more impressive. Two, because I still don't think he played that well during the U.S. Open. He relied on his raw talent, to get him through some matches, he had he was down in, uh, like I think Marin Cilic had him on the ropes. He really had to not ease through; he had to come through those with great difficulty because he was still very raw and his point construction was was very was questionable, and it was just the forehand pace and. The sheer athleticism. Now he's added point construction, patience, margin for error. His serve is improved. The kid's 20 years old. How many people have we seen, especially on the women's side, win a slam? And then it's almost complacency. Like, oh, I'm good enough to win a slam. I don't have to improve anymore. Or I'm not going to take any more steps forward. And, and he did not get complacent like that. Credit to him and his team. That's just, that's an incredible amount of progress they've made from winning the U.S. Open to winning Wimbledon in the span of less than one year.
0: Uh, yeah, I agree with you. The Wimbledon win feels like Carlos is uh, officially here. The guy that we've all been waiting for. Exciting stuff, as I said, for the sport.
1: Well, is it though? Because I mean, now you're just going to go from once Jokovic is time, you're going to go from Jokovic dominating everything to Carlos dominating everything. And I don't a, think
0: you really change all that much. That's a good that's a good point. But new blood definitely will, will drive some interest, I think. I, I mean, I I, I sent the Bill Simmons tweet, which I didn't see until a couple of days later. But when he tweeted about Carlos, the way he tweeted, it was like, has he never seen Alcaraz play before? So uh, a lot of a lot of that, people are are coming on and seeing him for the first time somehow, which is cool, in, in, in the mainstream media.
1: Yeah, now that was my my positivity out of the way for the day. As a natural cynic and pessimist, that's about as positive as it's gonna, as it's going to get with regards to praising Carlos Alcaraz. Back to the negativity. Does it really grow the sport though? Do people tune in to tennis, or do they tune in because it's Djokovic versus Alcaraz in the Wimbledon final? Are we going to get people watching the Toronto final? Are we going to get people watching Cincinnati now? Or is it just going to be I'll tune in for the last two rounds of the U.S. Open? So do we have huge numbers for five, six days a year? Does it grow the sport or does it grow the men's side of things? Or does is it, is it just casuals tuning in during Wimbledon in the U.S. Open? I had group chats that had never talked tennis. Not one time. Not once. Primarily North American sports-based group chats. They were all over Wimbledon for the last six days. I have zero hope that any of them are going to talk tennis until the U.S. Open now. So, I mean, it's I'd rather them talk tennis... Four weeks a year than not at all, but I am not holding my breath that this is going to grow our sport exponentially by any means. And and again, this may get more Carlos Alcaraz fans, but just like Rafa fans in particular, but Fed fans and Djokovic fans as well. I mean, they are fans of their player. I don't know if they're really watching the 250s in Gestad, Newport, and Bostad, right?
0: Well, not to uh, keep belaboring this point, but at least it delivered. I will say before that, the Tiafo dimitrov match was a perfect setup to get some some viewers to tennis here in america it was on espn there was nothing else going on they were pumping the breakpoint netflix show on commercials and tiafo laid an egg and then it was a rain delay so pretty big whiff and missed opportunity that was classic i felt like tennis is gonna tennis so at least we got <laughs> an exciting final uh with that one all right john well uh, as we are degenerate fans, degenerate gamblers of this sport, we are turning the page from Wimbledon, and we're going to talk these three tournaments we have this week, right after I talk to you about Spotify for podcasters. All right, John, let's start out in Switzerland, the Gestad site, the Swiss Open. We'll do a little tournament overview here. The Swiss Open is a long-standing outdoor clay event that dates back in some form to 1915. It's been a 250 event on the tour since 1990. Gastad is about 1,050 meters above sea level, 3,400 feet. It's the highest venue for the ATP Tour in Europe, but not on tour overall, just in Europe. So we got some altitude, which means big servers play up. Casper Brood is the back-to-back champion here, but he's cheating on this event with Bastad this week. Last year, he beat Matteo Berrettini in three sets. In 2021, he beat Hugo Gaston. Other recent champs include Albert ramos Vinolas. Ferrettini, Fabio Fonini, Philly Lopez, Dami Team, in 2015. So some name brand top players or top clay players. However, uh, I mentioned Gaston already. Cedric Marcel Stieb, Yannick Hoffman, Robin Hassa have all been in recent finals. So uh, it's a week to look at some dark horses to get deep into this, if not win outright. Weather-wise here, not great. supposed to rain this week. Keep an eye on that. Big headlines so far, Zizou Berg's. Qualified in. Opened as a plus 300 dog versus Lazlo Degera. Wins in three. He picked up another win today against Rodionov. Big Dom Stricker, another Swiss countryman. Picks up a win as a slight dog. Bagnus wins as a slight dog. And then most of the favorites kind of rolled here. Let's dip into some draw talk. What do you think about Gastad here, John?
1: Sticking with that kind of dark horse, I guess he's a dark horse now, not in terms of name recognition, but in terms of actually winning things. How about Stan Wawrinka? Uh, I mentioned this to uh, patrons on the draw analysis over the over the weekend. That draw was great against Carbaez Baena. Whether he was hurt or not, it doesn't matter. It's a great draw on altitude, accentuates Stan's strengths, uh, plays down Carbaez Baena's strengths, and then masks Stan's weaknesses all in one. And Munar is a better version of Carbaez Baena. Has that grind a little bit more to his uh, serve, a little bit more aggression to his game, but still not a guy that's going to be able to really exploit the altitude. Those are his first two opponents. Stan's not playing for slams anymore. Let's be real here, right? We could be eternal optimists all we want, but that would be stupid. Stan's not playing for slams. He's not playing for master's titles. He's probably not playing for a 500 not named Hamburg. And I know he's even really going to be competing. If I don't know if he's playing there. I think it's next week. But the point is he's not competitive above this level, right? He's on home soil. He's in altitude where his his heavy spin um, is on clay where it's at home, and he's got a ton of power. So this is probably the best he can hope to win at this stage of his career, no? Home soil, altitude, clay event where his strengths play up. You're probably not going to be drawn in, probably, not guaranteed, but probably not going to be drawn into three-hour slugfests that kill your chances of winning the next match. I think Stan Vavrika is looking pretty decent in Gestad, and I think... He's He can't be the tournament favorite. He wasn't the tournament favorite in the uh, pre-tournament outright market. So I think he counts as a dark horse. And he's one I, I would look at uh, potentially to pull some upsets off in the latter rounds.
0: You mentioned Warinka. Seeds here include Batista Agut as the one seed. Kashmanovic is the two seed. Just tossing him out because he stinks. <laughs> Lorenzo Sinego is the three seed. Humpman, who's playing as we record. What's the score then? 3 2 30 30. So he's got a tough match here against Altmaier. What about? Hear me out here, John. Juan Pablo Vareas has that deep cut to get into here. He's got Bagnus next, who, you know, decent player, but not a, an insurmountable opponent. Then he's going to take on the winner of Ramos Sonego. Again, not insurmountable. And then the bottom half, we already have Berg's end. And then it's going to be the winner of Stricker, Uh He's been pretty, like, solid here, especially at these type of events, the, the lesser-known Clay 250 type of events. What do you think about JPV?
1: i think I, I like him against Bagnus, obviously i think he should be an overwhelming favorite and he is i think he's over two, is he over two to one now in, in the markets i think he's over two to one in terms of uh being a favorite which is again where he probably should be bagness is on the decline not on the ascent um doesn't have the power to really take advantage of the altitude and, and um i don't know if he's gonna be able to wait out errors nearly as effectively in altitude as he would at sea level so that's a good second round matchup for him i just i really like lorenzo Sanego in this bottom half i i, I think he's probably the best player here with, with that serve uh, to play up in the altitude. I think Kachmanovic still to me, like 250s is where he's made his hay. Like if you look at his ranking, you're like how is this guy who's lost so many matches still ranked, you know, inside the top 30, 40, even 50 or whatever. And it's because like 250s, I mean, Estero final, Delray Beach final, this is what he does. There's usually one other really good player or one really good player in the draw and he loses to them in the final, right? It was Fritz at one and Rude in the other, I believe, uh, this season. Don't underestimate him here. He's got a little bit of pop, not nothing, you know. That's gonna the, rip the cover off the ball, but he's certainly a more polished player than Stricker and Bergs are. So, I, I do think that Senego is is the most likely player for me to come out of the bottom half, and then I'd say Kitchmanovich followed by JPV. But uh, Juan Pablo has definitely, you know, got a a great first round draw. I liked him initially, and then he got Otto Virtanen, who like has a serve and that's going to play an altitude, but he's by no means a clay quarter. He is a out and out hard quarter. So that's a great draw for him Uh as Vierton. And again, a lucky loser too. He's even lost in qualifying by that point. Now he gets Bagnus. So I do like his draw, but he's going to have a, his hands full. If it's Lorenzo Sinego in the next round.
0: I'm going to agree with you uh, in the top half with Barinka. I liked how he looked against uh RCB. And I, I think he can ball bash his way through three set matches uh, in uh in this, in this draw. And I, I mean, who else are you backing? I mean, like, I mean, I think that the winner of Hoffman, Altmaier, definitely someone to c- consider. Don't want to discount what the work that uh, Hamad Majedovic is doing. Big win today against team, gunning that out. Beats a, a, a tough opponent in Zhang Jian in the first round. So someone to keep an eye out for as well. But, and I'm tossing out RBA. So
1: good grass season, good grass season. And he likes quicker conditions. So, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I think Pedro Cachin might have him on upset alert, though. That's the only problem.
0: Well, let's do that on. Uh, let's use that as our pivot point to talk uh, some match play here. RBA is a minus 180 money line favorite. Pedro Kachin is plus 150 as the dog on Bovada. The spread is three. The total is 22 and a half. And man, I feel like i've kind of i've kind of been ignoring totals a little bit uh, especially in this wimbledon run but this week uh, we've seen a lot of tight matches uh, that that could go either way deep into three sets so a pretty neutral 22 and a half for a match that i feel like is a match that's a chance for both these guys to win i'm liking the potential over here in this match what do you think about uh, this one john
1: yeah i mean i think it's closer than than the market would or I think it's closer than the opening line indicated. Pinnacle originally had this out at plus 192 and it's come all the way down to plus 146. Bet 365, you can still find a nice plus 163 hanging out there. I think that's worth it. I don't know if the 146 is. So this is again, why price shopping is important. At One book, I might make the bet at the other one. I probably won't. So uh, it's all, it's really important to use all the outs you have at your disposal, barring if you live in Ontario, because then, you know, you're not going to, you have like 50 books, so let's let's calm down on that. But, I mean, have several outs is the 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 point of the story. I don't mind the over. I think you can get a 22 as well. Uh, I don't mind the first set overs either. I think, you know, it's clay. These guys aren't the most potent servers, but the numbers are certainly enticing. There's a, a plus 500 tiebreak number out there, again, at 365, plus 275 for over 10 and a half probably prefer the, the plus the 500 there. Um, if you want to talk about implied probabilities and likelihoods, I think that's probably the way to go. But yeah, you can also get a 22, which in altitude seems, it's like minus 118, but it seems kind of low. I think you should probably be about 22 and a half at that kind of number. So certainly that's that's obviously a very important half game in men's tennis, right? 22 and a half is almost where those lines are set by default. So to get off that down to a 22 when, when that minus 118 should be at 22 and a half I think there, there might be a little bit of value there to exploit. Yep.
0: Over 22 is the play for me in that
1: match. John, are you taking a side at all? Probably not. I mean, I might just pick off the 163 at bet 365 at a principle. One, I think it is a good play. I, I do think he is over 40% to win Pedro Cachin. So yes, it's value. And two, it's just, again, on principle, picking off that kind of poor number that's off market is, is just what you should be looking to do. But I'm not like overly enthusiastic saying gung-ho on it. Probably about a half unit. Um, to unit-type play.
0: I mentioned my guy, JPV, Juan Pablo Vareas. He's a three-game favorite. You can find him minus 210 on the money line. There's some three-and-a-halves out there, so I, I got a three here on Bet Online, and the total is 22. Bagnus is a plus 170 dog. I, I'm kind of liking laying the three here with JPV.
1: Yeah, it's... It's come to minus 105 at Pinnacle, which is not the worst. I mean, it opened at plus 118. It's opened at two and a half, which, you know, obviously I would have been on, um, I mean, two even. Jesus, yeah, it opened at two at minus 112. So it has moved. People have bet JPV down correctly. I think it should probably be three and a half. So once again, I think you've got a little bit of value to potentially exploit. I'm not huge on most of the numbers in Gestad in general, but I do think – um. There are there are some marginal plays there that are that are slightly off in the Bagnus and Kachin matches.
0: I almost feel like this is one of those where the minus two hundred money line is not a bad play, just eat, eating the juice for low stake. Get a little bit of coinage.
1: Yeah. yeah, Pinnacle came has has come back. There's been a little bit of buyback uh, on Bagnus. so Pinnacle's back up to minus two hundred. Yeah.
0: I just trust JPV a little bit more. Uh, he's been a, 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 like I said, he's been a, a very steady player. These type of events all season. And uh, maybe a little bit too much credit for Bagnus off the, the round one win here. And taking into account, you know, he had that poor Wimbledon showing, uh, JPV. So maybe there's a little bit of uh, false numbers baked into that. I mean, he's not a grass quarter. And now we're back on clay. And he should play up. You've mentioned Wawrinka on it outright. He's minus 220 on the money line. Munar is plus 180 as a dog. The spread is three and a half. Total is 22. Anything for you uh match play wise in that one or, or are you just gonna let your
1: Walrinka call ride? Well, see here's the thing about that is I liked him against RCB there. And the problem now is the markets adjusted. Like Munar is a better player than Roberto Carballo's Bayana and his his game is more suited to altitude as well, right? This is the almost the exact line we had in the last match. So if you're if you're having to lay the same price here. As you did last round, but you're playing a better player. Just by, like, default, logically, you're you're losing, um, your part of your edge there because he, this is not the exact same matchup, but it's being priced that way. So I, I'm actually going to pass on the individual market here. I think, uh, you know, we're seeing maybe a bit of an overreaction to the the carvajal line, um, or or win. And look, I don't think that the the retirement should be over. Uh, over-accounted for because I think Stavrinka beats the living crap out of him at altitude on clay, regardless of uh, carbaez Bayana being hurt or not. I think he, he wins that 6-3, 6-2 a lot of times when he's healthy, like when when the Spaniard is healthy. So I wouldn't uh, look too much into that, but I do think there has been an overreaction to that win. So in the individual match market, I'm fine just passing and letting it go. I think Bavrinka should come through that match though.
0: All right. Well, some matches we don't have lines for yet. Hamad Majedovic, I, I will I assume he will be a dog versus the winner of Altmaier, Hoffman. And and I will be backing him in, in the next round as well.
1: My issue there is is he gonna get away with slop? I mean, he's been played, he plays some really sloppy tennis against Zhang and team. And that's kind of his MO. Is he's got all this talent, he's got huge firepower, big serve, big forehand, comfort on clay. He's got all the tools, but I mean, he's still a kid, and, and you're gonna find Zizou Berks is still going through this. Right where you're going to have these valleys where you give up. Like he won one point in four games to start the second set against Dominic Team. You cannot do that against either Hompman or Altmaier because you will be in trouble. Right? They will. They will take advantage of those mistakes more than Dominic Team in his current form can, more than Zhang Zhizhen can, because he'll give them right back to you. Hompman and Altmaier will not. They are so steady behind their serves, and Hoffman is like. his only success at tour level pretty much in the past prior to 2023 came at these events because it was on his favorite surface clay and it rewarded his huge serve forehand weapons you know he still got the weight of shot with his from from the the baseline on his forehand wing and then you put him in altitude and it really rewards exactly what all his strengths are and then he's having this breakout 2023 and now he gets to play probably his two favorite events i mean I have to say that Huffman likely beats Medvedevich 60 to 65% of the time. And so unless I'm getting a crazy high number on Medvedevich, I'll probably end up passing there. He's just a little too inconsistent within matches for me. And Huffman is is so steady, so good behind his serve, um, that I, I think it'll be a really tall task if Medvedevich isn't playing his best from start to finish.
0: All right. Well, you just talk talk me off the ledge there. But I will be fading Zizou Berg's next round. That's for sure.
1: That one I, I would I will not talk you off the
0: ledge. All right, well let's move from Switzerland to Sweden, John. ATP Bastad, it's Bostad, Bostad, ATP Bostad. The Swedish Open, Nordia Open, is a 250 clay event that's been held in some form since 1948. Recent winners include Francisco Cerundolo, who's the fourth seed here, picked up a win today versus my guy. Luca Van Ash, the Machinator. I did not like Van Ash in that <laughs> match. And uh, I stayed away because I felt like if I lay the games with Dolo, uh, I will get burned by Van Ash <laughs> randomly. Uh, so I just stayed away from that one. Casper uh, Ruud won in 2021. He's back as the top seed. Nico Jari and Fabio Fanini were recent winners as well. Now, just like Gestad. We have some bigger names taking down the title. However, in the final, we have a nice mix of uh, surprises. Sebastian Baez made the final here uh, last year. Now, he's a, a, an upper-end clay player. So maybe not the biggest surprise, but Federico Coria uh, in 2021, Juan Ignacio Landero. So maybe some of these guys in names that typically pay, play up during the golden swing uh, resurface at this event over the years. Uh, Weather-wise, rain is also on the horizon here, so keep an eye out for that. Big headline so far, Leo Borg, son of Swedish and tennis legend Bjorn Borg, picks up his first ATP Tour win as a six-game dog to fellow Swede Elias Emer. Maybe uh, Emer's head was somewhere else as his brother had just announced an 18-month suspension. His brother Michael... Uh, right before this match. Uh, also, the dogs have been barking here in Sweden. Alejandro Davidovich Volkino goes down as a massive favorite. I mean, Solich won uh, as a dog and he picked up another win today. Offner takes out the favorite in Etcheverry. Some cash was m- to be made on the dog so far. John, what are you thinking?
1: Some odd results there. I mean, Davidovich Volkino K250 post Wimbledon Clay, like whatever. He's playing a really annoying, grindy kind of pusher in Josef Kovalik. that's just a that's just ADF probably tanking out like that's what you'd expect from right-handed Denis Shapovalov and he was as as advertised when it comes to being the right-handed Shapovalov in that sense Federico Correa is someone I've learned just to never back their match in his back anything in in his matches he is infinitely better than uh, than challenger tour pushers playing on the challenger tour he's like a three-game favorite he should win by five or six wins the first set and then tanks out the second before winning in three and then now he comes in and beats bias as a plus plus two dog the guy is absolutely mental and he's going to be in an atp quarterfinal now because he's playing leo borg like good on leo like there were two three years ago this guy was losing one and two at the itf level okay so like for him not and then he was getting challenger wild cards and it was like oh boy like he's Bor- bjorn borg's son so he's getting these wild cards and he's just getting smacked around the court and now all of a sudden it's like he's far more competitive Right, you give him time to develop, give him time to grow up, maybe put on some muscle, and not be such a pushover. And and look at him go. So you know, happy to see him through. But I don't think he's beating Freddy Coria there. Uh, it's it's such a. Let's put it this way: I'd have a tough time if I if I was on assignment for this this tournament. It's just it's so meh. Like Mosetti Arnaldi should be a lot of fun, but Zapata Bidaye's offer could be close. But who cares? Rude Shevchenko is like a match that I, I think should be more exciting than it will end up being you know, Kotov and Rublev, Montero maybe has an upset chance on Zverev here. It is it is a clay court and, you know, Zverev now has new allegations again it, with a, a separate one of his ex-partners starting to get the feel that maybe he's not the best guy in the world. I don't know. But does that hang over his head is the point, right? I don't, like the allegations are one thing, but in a betting sense, you have to consider all factors. Is that going to weigh on him? If so, how much? This is his his first match since those revelations this morning, maybe he knew they were coming, but even still, even if he knew ahead of time, he was really, he had a really tough time with Alex Mulchan who is kind of a, a weaponless lefty. Now he gets Montero, who actually has a weapon or two uh, and is still playing that lefty game. So we'll see, we'll see how he fares. There's just a whole lot of nothing burger in this tournament, right?
0: Yes. Especially with uh, rude, likely probably taking it down as this is like Rude's bread and butter and faltering two fifties when no one's looking. <laughs> That's especially true this week, right after Wimbledon. Uh, but draw, he is the top. Let's dip into some draw talk real quick, though. Rude is the top seed. Andre Rublev is playing this event. Man, he's playing a lot of stuff, uh, Rublev. Um, just grinding it out. He's the two seed on the bottom half. He'll take on uh, uh, Kotob, Pavel Kotob next. Uh, Musetti, uh, looks like he's going to drop the second set here and, and potentially. Uh, against Arnaldi, he won the first set. He's the three seed, and then uh, Dolo, who's the reigning champ, he is the four seed. Uh, he takes on the winner of he takes he's going to take on Coria next. <laughs> takes on the winner of uh, Borg Coria. It's really tough for me to to go against Rude in this thing, even even with Rublev in the mix. As I said, it's it's, it's a lot of mileage on the legs of Rublev, man.
1: Yeah, but Kotov's got a lot of mileage, too. I think he played three hours in his second qualifying round. I don't know how the hell Marco a lost to that guy. Uh, he played a long week in Braunschweig last week. And then I don't think he had a day off. I think Braunschweig ends on Saturday, and he had to start Qualies on Sunday in Bostov. Wins his first match against, rather easily against Daline. I think it was Daline he played. And then a three-hour grind fest to get into the event. Remember, it rained on Sunday, too, so he had to finish his first match on Monday, then play three hours, then play again the first round match on Tuesday against Check Out. How on God's green earth Check Out lost that match to Kotov is beyond me. Like that is absolutely, it's a good matchup for him. It's on slow clay, it's at sea level. And Kotov has played like six or seven straight days or at least eight matches in like 10 or 11. Th- that is a prime position for Check Out to win any uh, botched it. So I just, I think Kotov is going to have a lot of wear and tear in his legs, far more so than Rublev um who i mean honestly has played a bunch but it's i'm just saying in terms
0: of as the week goes on really not not in this oh yeah
1: yeah I, again it's just such a top heavy draw though
0: it really is like
1: it's zverev maybe but again i don't know if zverev gets there zverev has not been playing it i've said it on i think three or four episodes now and i'll keep saying it until he proves me wrong. Like he's racking up wins and he's doing it in the ugliest ways. He's so error prone. And that's one thing Rublev is really shored up this year is he's pretty consistent. He's like, he's wrapped up a lot of the errors. He's still relatively one or two dimensional. Like he doesn't have a lot of di- dynamism to his game. That's the biggest knock on him going from like seventh to the top three in the world and breaking that that next level. Although I don't think Danil Medvedev has honestly all that much dimension to his game either. Uh, but the tour is not in the best place right now. So I, I think, you know, with Zverev's level and his his weapons and his newfound relative consistency, I think he beats Zverev not easily. I don't think anyone beats Zverev easily, but you know he should make it through that. And then I, I just think he's just a much better player than France and That serve is is also much better um, than France. So yeah, I think I think this will be a rude Rublev matchup. It's seems pretty straightforward. My dark horse here is Korea, uh, uh, in
0: the bottom half, and then. Sebastian Offner has been playing some pretty good tennis. Like, he had a pretty good clay season. He actually picked up some wins on grass. He had the upset here of uh, Echeverry already. He's got a, a decent serve. Could take him past Be- uh, Zapata here. Maybe give Rude a, a random match here. I, I feel like there's a, a, this is a tournament you, you want to look to some deeper names. So I'll, I'll just tip those, but I agree with you. It is so top-heavy. All right, well, let's talk about some match play here, John. We have only a few matches to do that, though. But the one that I like the most is Zverev, Alexander Zverev versus Tiago Montero. I have already bet the set one money line with Montero at plus 325. Uh, and that's simply because I feel like Montero is a, a decent power server and could find some holds into a tiebreak and uh, I get a chance to take him down a, a plus 325 ticket in, in tiebreak fashion.
1: Yeah, I, I don't mind Montero here. I mean, look, he's a good clay quarter. He plays. He can play up against top competition on his day. He obviously has a lot of errors uh, or issues with consistency and hitting on forced errors. But, I mean, that's why I'm probably not playing him very often as a pick or as, like, you know, plus 130. But if he's going to be a, a near plus 500 dog... I don't see an issue uh, backing him. He's certainly good enough to win this over 16% of the time. And you look at Alex Varev, like I said, he's got major issues right now off court. And who knows how that's impacting him? Who knows how he's sleeping at night? Who knows how any of this is going? Is he up? Is he in constant talk with his lawyers? Is this, you know, is this wearing on him to the point that it's taking away from his training time? I, I don't know. The point is it could be impacting him. That should be considered. It's hard to quantify. So it's hard to be like, oh yeah, I'm hammering Montero solely based on the purpose or on the reasoning that Zverev has these off-court issues because you can't really um, make a definitive kind of adjustment to your numbers based on that. But it's certainly something that should be considered uh, as like a tertiary factor. And I like Montero, again, when you when you have these kinds of phase of big players, you want players capable on that surface. Montero's capable, got a good serve, strong forehand. He's a natural clay quarter. Zverev has, again, a one ugly a lot In recent times, I have no problem taking Montero at such an elevated price.
0: I mean, I don't even hate the over 20 and a half here uh, at pick price. Uh, I mean, Montero is a a solid middle-of-the-road clay player. Zverev has not closed out matches in straightforward fashion uh, too often with the amount of wins he's had. Uh, So, yeah, I, I like looking for ways to play Montero in this matchup. I mentioned Offner. I wish he was the dog here against Zapata Morales, uh but he's only a short minus one thirty money line favorite. I don't know that I want to play him at minus one thirty versus Zapata
1: <laughs> there's minus one fifteens out there at oh, no, the uh, pinnacle as well and,
0: uh, you know what I, I will play the minus one twenty one here, although every time I pick against Zapata dude he's like he games up against me, man it's like there's he, uh, there's he wins in like. The, the, at the bottom <clears throat> at the at the late stages of the third set
1: for me i think it's like i the 115 i don't mind but it's not my favorite play again this is a, a relatively close match often it's just playing out of his mind this year he's playing really well he's got the tools to do it he's got like enough steady play in him and that's really what he needed was to find that steadiness that's what a lot of these guys honestly that succeed at the challenge tour level they've got the weapons they've got the talent it's just they cannot Seem to string together consistent matches enough, right? That's why a guy like Zapata Mirais made the the main tour. And it's why Offner never has um, until this year. Because, but if you want to talk about weapons and, and like the top level of each of their games, I mean, Offner is the better player. But Zapata Mirais is an effective counterpuncher. He, he takes his forehand really early, kind of deceivingly. Uh, it, it makes it seem like there's a deceiving amount of pop on his forehand. So he's good in that respect as well. Certainly reasons why, um, you know, Zapata could hold his own here. I think it's a pretty even match, though. I'll probably end up just passing on it. uh, If Offner continues to drift, he opened in that minus 130-ish area or minus 135 at Pinnacle. Um, But, you know, he's down to minus 115, and I think that's a spot where, uh, you know, if it continues to drift, I might get involved. Hold on, i got to pick up something uh, real fast i will be back in two minutes.
0: Yeah, if is going to keep coming down, I I will be getting involved. On the money line with him... All right, John, let's move it to the North American site. We are finally back stateside in Rhode Island. Your time zone, John. The Newport Hall of Fame Tournament in Rhode Island. This is a grass event that's been held since 1976 and has been a 250 since 2009. Recent champs include defending champion Maxime Cressy, who was already out and falling out of the top 100. Kevin Anderson won in 2021, and he came out of retirement to steal our money against Gabriel Diallo. Uh, other recent winners include John Isner twice, Stevie Johnson, both of whom are back in the field and have picked up wins. Uh, Alex Bublik has made the final here twice, but I'll be seeing him here in LA on Friday at the ultimate tennis showdown. Woohoo. hoo. Uh, Brooksby was in the final in 2021. That was his breakthrough. Um, this draw is, is pretty much wide open, John, and and we're recording at a time where most of these matches are going to be played by the time this comes out. So let's just wrap this up with some general draw talk and, and some Newport thoughts.
1: I'm not exactly the biggest fan of obviously grass court post Wimbledon tennis because it's just a lot of serve bots and, and grass vultures, Manorino, Brits like Brody, Australians like Hijikata, Thompson, Duckworth, two all in action today. Alex Bolt was here yesterday. Who else played terribly yesterday that I watched? Uh, Vukic was here. I mean, this is pretty much like I've got one more shot at grass, right? So you've got your serve bots and Cressy and Isner and Anderson. Well, Anderson, not so much. You've got your Stevie J. And then you've got your grass guys, right? Like Manorino, Umber. The one good part about this is you don't have to question motivation spots outside of maybe Tommy Paul, right? We don't know. What the hell Tommy Paul is doing here and how motivated he is to win a 250 on grass post-Wimbledon the very the very week after it concluded. So with that caveat aside, I think you can pretty much look at the rest of the draw as you know a bunch of motivated competition. So the top half certainly where you'd want to attack if you're looking at outrights. I think you know you're gonna have to wait until later on because the second round they'll they'll probably close outrights until the second round is completed. Uh, maybe I think there might be some books that that do live outrights as well, which is really odd. But the the bottom half is pretty loaded, right? You'd ex- you expected Hitchikata to be playing Manorino, that that's happening. You expected Thompson Brody, that's happening. You expected Johnson Bear, that's happening. Um, you actually expected Purcell against Diallo, and that's a complete reversal with uh, with Anderson versus Brewer. Let's see if Anderson can back it up. We saw this with Brownich. He kind of scammed his way to a win in his first match back in a long time, and then looked pretty poor in every other one of his matches right not exactly um you know he's got the serve but the footwork is a step or two behind i still think anderson's going to end up uh, showing some of that against uh he's he's or heist whatever brewer the top half is where it's a little more open duckworth looked terrible in his first match against constant that match i mean duckworth should have won that relatively handily he's got the flatter ball he's got the bigger ground strokes he's got the grass court and and low bounce kind of quick court prowess and he was he was the better player dictating the entire time but so many really poor errors cost him same as personal same as Vukic uh, same as Bolt really a lot of the Aussies just played horrendous tennis uh, yesterday Alex Mickelson is a dangerous opponent I mean he looked really strong against Maxime Cressy who didn't play that poorly in his own right, certainly better than he has of late. Mackie McDonald's here, but he's not the, the best, you know, seed of the bye you're going to find out there. He likes quicker courts, but he hasn't been in the greatest form. He doesn't have the huge weapons. He should get by Lee two with ease, but, I mean, that's a very open quarter of the draw now in, uh, in that second round with Duckworth, Mickelson, McDonald, and two. And then, of course, Paul, you don't know where that motivation is at. Ethan Quinn doesn't have the most powerful game. I think, you know, I, I liked Isner at the outset here, but he really... Made me a bit nervous against Alex Bolt with how much he slowed down from the baseline in the second set, and he was just hanging on long enough in rallies in the third to wait out the the Alex Bolt errors. He's playing a much much better opponent now in Colten Wutay. By the time that you know this is released, your prob that match might have happened, but it is last on court, so maybe not. But I'll say that I think Colten Wutay should come through with ease. Right, I wrote this one up for betting expert. He's a much better lefty than Alex Bolt. He's got more craft, and he's got far more variety, like slices and drop shots to exploit the Isner potential, like the lack of Isner movement, uh, especially forward in the court. And he was pretty good against Elliot Spitziti, right? He had his typical meltdown, temperamentally, blew the break in the first set because he was got his own head, as he always does. And then he baggles the kid, or, or breadsticked him. I think it was a baggle, though, in the second. Good player, got the variety for grass, has a day off. Isner, what, 38 now? no day off, played a long three-setter. He looked really slow in that second set, looked a little bit better in the third, but without a day off, I really wonder if he's going to be able to come through here. I don't mind Conte Moutet or Alex Mickelson as two dark horse looks uh, from the top half. If Paul's motivated, I think he should walk to the final. But uh, those two are ones to look at if if Tommy Paul is here for a quick appearance fee and and to skedaddle.
0: Well, I sadly have to wrap this up, but uh, we will try to be back... We were kind of crushing the semifinal episodes, John. I don't know if you know that, but we were we were kind of crushing. Or I don't know if you remember, way back in June. We're going to try to be back for the semifinals if possible. Uh, until then, follow John at Tibbetts Tennis, at Jared Tweets Tennis. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Do subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, see you in the court.